Hey everybody. Um, man, um, I'm gonna not, I'm gonna try my best to ma- to make this not be a somber thing. Um, last year, my my dear brother Samir um, from the Reminders introduced me to a cat named Nedek, um, and. The initial contact was was, I think Samir just just was like, man, y- y'all are similar, and um, and you guys should know each other, and he was right, and um, you know I was blessed enough to uh, to start a relationship with Netic that stemmed from this this two hour conversation that um that I'm about to share. Um, it sat in the archives because I have um, a fair amount of, of, of backlogged podcasts where um, whether it was like a tour announce or something like that would get in the way of the release that week so they would get logged um, and regretfully, uh, you know, forgot about a few of them. But, but Nedek and I would correspond almost daily about the going-ons in the world um, one of the one of the most profound thinkers that that I've had the pleasure of knowing um, was someone that that when I would pick up my phone, um, that I would that I would immediately think of if, if if something ridiculous had happened or something that I felt like there was more to happened. You know, he was on a short list of people that I wanted that I wanted to, to, to chew on it with me. And um, what's so wild about the, the, the modern day, I guess, um, is how connected we can be to people without, you know, Nedek and I never met in person, but he was someone that I communicated with on um, a daily basis, almost. You know, multiple times a week, him and I w- would communicate. And um, Nedek was, un- was unfortunately killed in a home invasion at, at his place in Tulum. Uh, at the end of last week, and it's been really weird because I've lost um, so many people that I've that I guess I was closer to, um, but for some reason his passing has profoundly affected me, and I I can't put my thumb on what that is or or why that is. Um, I guess I guess it just sucks when we lose great people, um, e- exemplary, exceptional people. And, and he was that dude across the board um, with, his, with health and fitness, um, with thinking, with reading, and his book club, and the way he, he, that he would process and distill things to the ultimate thing behind the thing, which I guess maybe the reason that, it, that I felt so close to Netic um, and the reason that I feel close to Samir uh, and these people that I get to see so sporadically but communicate with so regularly is I don't give a shit about the surface level or baseline take on anything. That is not why I'm here. That is not why God made me. So when I see that same thing in other people, I cling to it. I dig my claws into it. I want to know. I want to know more, and when I meet people that know more and also want to know more, 
and that when we can become reflections reflections of one another it's extremely special and unfortunately we don't always know how special it is until something bad happens but i believe that the reason that we are here is to see each other and to see ourselves in each other and to connect and to know and we need more of that we need less um, bitching less complaining less victim stances and more knowing and learning and teaching and listening because those things breed connection and things that breed division have no um, there's no merit to them there's no juice inside of that and I don't want dry fruit so I guess the last thing I'll say before I just play um, play my conversation with Netic is that most of this shit is going to go right over your head, um, probably. And Nedek would tell you that he don't give a fuck. He doesn't have... Uh, <laughs> he would tell you he doesn't have time to catch you up, um, which is kind of what I liked about him. One of many things that I liked about Nedek. Um, so, rest in peace to Nedek. And may we all dig deeper to know more, to understand more, to share more, to live more, and to wake up every morning and, and that little bitch that lives inside of us that tells us not to exercise, not to read the book, um, not to question authority, not to make a painting, not to do this, that we kill that thing in us every single day. And that we aim to be the most beautiful, artistic, and dangerous versions of ourselves. Without further ado, here's Netic. Cool. Netic, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good, brother. How you feeling? Good, man. I'm excited to, to chop it up with you. I, I've already done like a, a little intro on you, but um, you and I linked through a mutual friend, Samir, of The Reminders. Um, so why don't you yeah, tell sure. everyone a little bit about yourself and then, and then we'll go in. You and I got a lot in common. Um, yeah, from combat sports to, uh, I think, seeing the reality of our society as it actually is rather than how it's portrayed. And we'll, we'll bust into all that and get as nuanced as possible. But uh, tell everyone a bit about yourself. Oh, a little bit about myself. I mean, I guess there's a, just a, a really curious individual kind of have always been a curious individual um i'm i have i have a lot of interests and i have to be mindful of all those interests and how i pursue them <laughs> as a result of the, my curiosity because i like to go deep in things and it can become almost paralyzing so uh as we talk about combat sports sort of i, I trained essentially as an athlete my whole life in some way shape or form uh i got into music as a young adult or actually a teenager um and i was 
training. I basically got into like MMA and, and music around the exact same time. Um, you know, I would, I would say like both, both passions started to, you know, started to look like possible realities for my adult future. Um, and I kind of said to myself, whichever one comes first is the, uh, is the one that I'm going to go for, you know, and go towards. And basically, music kind of opened itself up. I think I went on my first international tour in like 2002 or something of this nature, somewhere around then. And, uh, and I knew right then, like, I was falling deeply in love with like jujitsu and MMA. And I had to like make a conscientious choice because you can't really you can't dabble really in either one of those, you know, like it's either you're either going to, you know, you're either going to pursue music and for me at that time, at least I was either going to pursue music. There wasn't social media in the way that it was. So you couldn't like, you couldn't build your career. You had to build your career on the road, essentially at that yeah. time. Period. So I couldn't really, you know, use, there wasn't a real social media to build a, a career and a following. And there was, you know, there obviously wasn't, YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all those things where you could actually, you know, build, start to build a fan base purely on a, in a in social media space and then hit the road once you've established a fan base. I, I knew that I needed to hit the road to establish and grow a fan base. And I also knew that my personality um, in, in regards to the, the pursuit of uh, fight sports and combat sports wasn't going to allow for that. It was either one or the other and I needed to make a choice. And I just kind of felt like, you know what? You can train martial arts until you're fucking 70, 60 years old, respectfully, you know, if you really respect an art. Uh, but you can't be like, you don't really have that type of shot as a rock star, you know, like, so no, let me, no, not let me, at all. Let me take this <laughs> opportunity, you know, at, at, at fucking 20 or whatever to, to like travel the world and perform on stages and, and like, you know, fuck girls that I could, couldn't even imagine possibly at some point. Actually, I, I take that back. I always thought that, I always thought highly of myself. <laughs> <laughs> I always was uh, shooting way beyond my like uh, scope. Like, um, but anyway, yeah, so I, I definitely, um, I, went, I, I went with music and hit the ground running. And, but I knew in the back of my mind, like, Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming back to this. Like any any city that I would go to, I would or shows that we did, I would end up like becoming friends with the bouncers because that was more sort of like my personality. My personality was more, you know, um, conflict driven, uh, and I, I I just had a warrior sort of spirit. So I was becoming friends with like the bouncer and the security community, so that I could find like the gyms to train at and and you know and go hit bags or kick bags and you know slam stuff and, and get rolled get rolled over by people so it, it but I, I essentially I, I really could i really had a hard time navigating it because i i could feel the pull of this love for jujitsu you know like i love chess and jujitsu was just like physical chess for me and it was so mm -hmm. it, it was so prominent but it literally took me my whole i had to go through my whole music career to actually be able to come back and, and, and finally be able to go to jujitsu. I had, you know, 
Well, it's weird the similarities between the two because like for me, man, you know, in, in that era of social media is like, I had this weird thing happen a couple of years ago where like someone sent me a video of this dude in North Carolina walking out to one of my songs. So I hit him up and then like trace this whole thing back to Benson Henderson. And long story short, like I just have these like little jujitsu families all over the country now that when I tour, I can, I can pop in and train with these little families, yeah. you know? So to me, like, it's funny that, yeah, social media is such a double-edged sword. It's like, there's all this bullshit, but it's also really probably the coolest, most efficient way to keep in touch with people that, that live all over the country and keep tabs yeah, no, on what everybody's sure. doing. For sure it was. I mean, I, I got pretty proficient in Twitter by the time that, you know, like I used MySpace really well. I used, I got relatively good at, at Twitter and was able to really coordinate a lot of like interactions with fans and some really cool shit where I could, I could literally say, I'm just, you know, I grew up a wild boy. Like I was very comfortable in conflict, very comfortable. Yeah, where are you from? I'm from New York. Yeah. So I spent the majority of my time in Brooklyn, but I grew up upstate New York, like went to high school upstate New York. Um, So I was, but I spent all the weekends in the city. So I was kind of like this transplant kid where I had, you know, I went to a predominantly white high school as most of my black athlete friends do they kind of like you know like these these predominantly white high schools tend to tend to recruit black athletes so that they can win championships from yeah (laughs) and then um you know so i i I go to this predominantly white high school and and um but i was very aware of like who i who i was and how i fit into that sort of space and how i was looked at um and I was kind of bust in, you know, like I came from a black neighborhood, but but I was on the border of a of this really pretty good high school. Um, so we were we were being bust in, but the kids, like the white kids, used to call it the dangerous minds bus because it was just like the basically all the black kids were coming from like the same area. All the black and Latino kids were coming from the same area. So you know, you you find the spaces that you that you can make that you know that you can fit in, but the thing was, is that I was always really, really smart um, and interested in being smart. It wasn't just like, okay, I'm intelligent, but I'm going to like shove that and push that down. It was like, no, 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 I'm intelligent and I'm conflict oriented. And now this is going to be a problem for you. It's not gonna be a problem for me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Dude, I really, I relate to so much of that. So I I grew up in a neighborhood that was like, uh, like 50% black like 30% Bosnian refugees. And then the rest was white and Latino, but section eight white kids, you know, and we got, and we got bust in too. And and I went to a really nice high school and there was bus 23 and bus 24. And and that, yeah, same thing was, it was like all the Bosnian refugees, all the black kids and all the poor white kids took bus 23 and 24. And, you know, it's funny because there was always violence and conflict around, around me growing up. And, and I remember going to school and like, you know, seeing these like suburban white kids listening to gangster rap and like puffing their chest out. And, and it was just such odd behavior to me. Cause I'm like, dude, you guys don't even know, like, dude, the shit's actually pretty scary, man. It's not actually, yeah. you know, like, you know, you can, you can, you can laugh at this shit from a moral distance, but like, it's actually really scary when four dudes fucking get on somebody. It's like, you know, and like, um, and same thing too, man, I found because of the neighborhood that I lived in, I found hip hop really young and punk rock really young. 
Yeah. And, and the cast that really turned me on was I was like, you know, with punk rock, it was always like anti-flag and bad religion. And then with hip hop, it was, you know, Chuck D, Talib Kweli. And like, I thought there was something so cool about being counterculture, but also fucking hyper intelligent. Um, so yeah, man, I, I relate to what you're saying. That was like a huge thing for me too, was I wanted to be the dude that could like school his fucking history teacher in class and be like, that's right, yeah, sit same. down, bitch. <laughs> you know? I, I, uh, actually there was a, a Forbes, it was crazy because I remember, I think it was in 10th grade, there was a, a, a Forbes article that was written and the, inter, the, uh, the writer had sat in on one of our classes and I derailed the whole conversation about Imelda Marcos' sh like shoe collection. And basically they were talking about like, you know, the US and there's, you know, countries. I, don't, I can't remember what it was a social studies class and they were basically talking about like US foreign relations and, and you know, why we are un, in spaces. And I'm like, are you? Like, I basically kind of just undermined the whole thing and was like, look, man, we destabilize countries. We put ourselves in a position because we need to, we need to control the narrative, right? Like, it's like, it's, it's pretty simple. First of all, one, it's hard to gain top position, you know, so you fight for top position and then it's fucking super hard to maintain top position. So that's how we're moving, right? Like, that's how we're moving as a country. And, but I, but I did it in the way that I do it was usually through like these really nuanced sort of like like i'll take one small thing like uh imelda marcos was the wife of the uh president of the philippines and um at back in the day and i used her like obsession with shoes as the sort of speaking point around how we kind of do this and what ends up happening as a result of it and it's like we infect other spaces with our ideology and our mentalities and then those spaces like they don't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. Like that type of capitalism doesn't make sense in 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 a, in a society like the Philippines, where the average person ha makes no money, like zero dollars. Yeah. You know, like yeah. It, it's so you know, yeah. American capitalism, it kind of is almost it's okay in America, but it, like, but then when we export that out other spaces, and I just derailed derailed the whole conversation. And I remember like being excited to see the Forbes article when I was like in high school, and they basically were like they basically just were like, you know, some, you know, in some schools are like, they're, they're great. But at the same time, you have these spaces where you can just like, they're open to conversation. And so then the conversation will just become like, just nonsensical about shoes. And I was like, damn, they missed the whole point. Like, yeah, <laughs> like, shit. Well, I remember, I remember a similar thing. I was in uh, a current events class and we were in, I, we were like in our little small groups and I'd said, fuck the president. And he's like, you can't say that. And I was like, yeah, I can, man, this is America. And my, at the time, my brother was in Iraq and he was just kind of pushing this narrative of, uh, of what we were doing. And I just kind of flew off the rails of like, do you know anybody there? Cause I got like my brother and two of my closest friends over there right now. What they're telling me is not what you're telling me. So I'm going to trust yeah. the dudes that are actually boots on the ground over there rather than what you collected from CNN this morning. You know, it's like, it's such a wild time, man. One thing I really want to get your take on is like, um, you know, I saw I saw you comment on that on that Joe Schilling video, um, and to me, the reason that video was uh, so for everyone listening that didn't see it, there's a there's a world class kickboxer and MMA fighter named Joe Schilling. He was at a bar. Um, a dude that dropped the end. He is too. He is a sweet guy. I, I I'm friends with the dude that does all of his media. And um, 
yeah, have, have heard that from multiple people that, that he's an absolute sweetie. Um, but he's at a bar, there's a drunk dude that's kind of instigating him lightly throughout the night, dropping the N-bomb in front of a black bus boy. Uh, Joe steps outside and on his way back in, the guy bumps into him and Joe kind of alpha moves him out of the way gently. And then even gives the dude the nod like, hey, it's all right that you bumped into me. The dude goes, yo, hey. Joe turns around and I mean, the dude was like mid flex and then gets dropped. And I think the reason that, that, that I like that video so much is I think we're in a culture right now where like I see extremists on the left. I talk more about the extremism on the left because it just seems real dumb. The extremism on the right is just really easy to break down. It's usually rooted in racism and, and that's about it. Um, yeah, yeah. But like on the left, um, I see a lot of people that have no concept of violence, that have never really seen it or experienced, much like uh, the man in the video, that are calling for it, you know? And like, I, I think that video for me was just like this like little microcosm of a dude being like, he saw that shit playing out a whole different way and didn't know that getting hit in the face by Joe Schilling would be a serious problem for his health. And as, as someone that trains, um, like you and I do, you know, like, yeah, martial arts is, is my life. It's, it's apparently your life. Um, that's what I do. I train and, um, and grew up in an area like you were saying, where violence is just a prevalent thing. I've seen it with my eyes and it's not, it's not what people think it is. Yeah. And, and I want to get your take. I want to dive kind of deep on, on, on a lot of this shit, uh, involving what we're seeing in our country. Cause we see a lot of people that have never seen violence calling and instigating violence. Um, and, and, and I, I just want to know what you think that's, that's based in. Cause we see a lot of like young suburban white kids dressing up and, and, and hitting the streets, trying to start shit, having no idea where that could actually lead them, you know? Yeah. I, um, well, I think there's, I mean, I think it's super layered. Number one, I wanted uh, to go back to your original point, right? Like, it, it, like how you started this conversation. Um, we live in it. We live in a time that there's like, we, we live in like this weird sort of construct of collective delusionalism. Like, we're, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're, <laughs> yep, does that make I sense? Do. Right. Yes. We like, we, we've, we've allowed, um, we've allowed like a, a, a type of person to tell a story for a really, really long time, you know? Um, and it, 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 it came from the, it, it originated like by coming from like sort of the media and the state sponsored, you know, delivery system, like NBC and national broadcasting system, which people don't really understand is that that was a state sponsored organization. So when people are talking about like, you know, communism in America or socialism in America. I'm like, yo, you guys love the police and you love fucking fire department and you love, you know, like television and media or the whatever, but it's that like all of the things that you've come to fucking love are, were state sponsored socialist programs, you know, like yep. <laughs> you guys don't, you can't, you can't even, you can't say don't tread on me and then say, you know, back the blue. Like it's in, it's in it, that those are a contradictory <laughs> statement, right? Like one is anti-state and one is one thousand percent support of this the spear of this the tip of the spear of the state. Like you, I mean, you can say it, but you're you're it's a, a hypocritical, hypocritical, counterintuitive statement. Um, 
so I think that, you know, we've allowed our own search for comfort to dumb us down to a state that we're literally like in a zombie state of delusion where we don't even know how to think critically. So we can't see through things that don't make sense, you know, like, and, and this sort of search for comfort and this search for safe spaces and all of these things where originally it was like, we, these are all pursuits. The, the pursuit of safety is, is a natural progression, I think, for any society, right? Like it's why warrior classes are defined and built because we want to keep our society safe. And, and then we build walls and we build things, but then we end up becoming trapped by our own, the own, the walls that we've created, right? To keep us safe. And then we become too safe, right? Like, and then as a result of becoming too safe, we start doing things that would not be okay beyond those walls. Right. So we lose a piece of we lose a piece of our, you know, our nature. And it's OK because nature changes. So we have to be mindful of like being, you know, are we holding maybe maybe guys like you and I are holding on to a. A desire for a particular type of humanity, you know, that still accesses nature in a certain way and accesses animalism in a certain way and and you know loves loves the aspect of the wild loves the aspect of the warrior loves the aspect of the hunt loves those loves those things but maybe the evolutionary course of of human is to actually get away from that you know and to cyborg ourselves up because we're doing mm. it like we're like we're showing ourselves that we do it and we've always done it right like all biological organisms i guess by by definition you know evolve in a in whatever way the environment needs them to right like they affect the environment and then the environment affects them they infect the environment the environment affects them and then ultimately it's like it's going in some direction and maybe maybe desiring a particular outcome is 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 an old way of looking is, an, is a sort of outdated way of looking at it. And I wrestle with this because I actually enjoy those things that I just talked about, you know? Yeah. But if I, if I'm being honest with myself and I recognize that evolution isn't necessarily about what we want as much as it is about what we need to survive within the environment, then I kind of start letting a lot of shit go, you know, that, that normally would just sort of fucking piss me off. Like <laughs> I start to like, let it go and just be like, you know what, this is, we've done this to our, we've done this to ourselves and some either, either we're going to head in this direction and we'll keep changing the environment to make our evolutions make sense. You know, like the things that we're evolving to is making sense and we'll be, and, and it, we'll be glad that we did that or we'll, you know, or it won't work and it'll collapse and guys like you and I will be dinosaurs and be extinct and we won't be here to see the things that annoy us anyway. So it's cool, whatever. Like, I, Dude, I, I, well, I, yeah, it's, it, what, what's so weird about it is, so like two things. So I'm a, you know, where Samir and I really linked is like, I'm a student of, of the old school left. You know, I learned about Fred Hampton when I was 15 years old. Oh, it's yeah, man. Yeah, so, so I became obsessed with him because his, the philosophy of the Panthers wasn't like, okay, well, here's this broken, broken system and we need to reconstruct it so it can serve us better. It was, fuck this whole thing. We'll just build our own shit. 
And, and the yeah. thing that as, as someone from Chicago, like the thing with, with Fred Hampton that was so cool and, and the reason that he was assassinated was he had successfully socialized an entire chunk of the city and then was like holding meetings with the poor Irish folks and the Polish folks and being like, yo, dude, we can run this shit down for you and we can get you on this same shit and teach you how to do it yourselves. Yeah, yeah. That became a threat. Apple, that became the Appalachian. Uh, fuck, what was the name of it? The Young Appalachian. I can't remember their names, but they they flew the Confederate flag as their as their flag, and he met with them too. Like, look, mm -hmm. y'all are poor. Y'all are poor white people in America. White people, America don't give a fuck about white people either. No, nope. right? Like that's why he was so dangerous, right? He was super. Yep. I mean, and also, the crazy thing is, is, he was twenty years old talking like yep. that. Nineteen years old, yep. nineteen, twenty, and then he died when he was twenty-one. Talk like unifying a, a, the like people across the polls, and he was literally saying like, "Yo, black power to black people, white power to white people, yellow power to yellow people, red power to red people." Like, the people is the common denominator here, right? Like, yep. this is all power to all people. We need, and he, be, I mean, he was super dangerous because of that, right? And because he was effective at it, it wasn't just like talk. No, he, he was like to implement it. He was making it make sense to people that were flying confederate flags and were like oh no this young black this black kid from chicago from chicago south side or wherever he's from was understands he gets it and that's dangerous but it's dangerous to you know to a system that's waking people up and i, I it's funny i read I, I wore this shirt on purpose because i uh specifically was like i don't know who who your like who your audience is, but the narrative that's being pushed about the Black Panthers amongst sort of like the conservative right is so far from accurate that it's like, that it's important that individuals who understand it, who can, identi who can identify, you know, and articulate ideas to the conservative right and to the individual or even like libertarian community, which I probably would more so identify than the conservative right. Um, it's important that they do that, right? Because you have the Candace Owens of the world out there, you know, saying shit that actually is wildly inaccurate. And then you have like people being like, look, see, even the black girl said it. And it's like, no, well, that's her role. Shit. Like, you know, that's like, her role. It's her, yeah, she doesn't understand. And, and um, either she does understand it and doesn't care, or she doesn't understand that in the same way that she's able to articulate how a Cardi B and a, and a Megan Stallion are weaponizing are being weaponized uh, and their sexuality is being weaponized against the black community. She can't, she can't see that her language and her intelligence is being weaponized against the black community is, mm -hmm. at all. Right. So it's like, so either she can see it and doesn't care and just is in, in it for the money and wants to play the politics game. That's all I think it is, man. I think or, she's found a role. She, yeah. Because it's like guys, her, Thomas Sowell, it's like, look, if you really cared about the black community, then you would be speaking to the black community. Yes. Right. But you don't, she doesn't speak to the black community. She speaks about the black community to white people and she arms yep. white people <laughs> with really good. She arms white people with really good speaking points against the black community, but she doesn't actually educate the white community about the black community and she doesn't talk to the black community. And she is not a representative, a representative of the black community because she's, she's not really a part of the black community, like self, self admittedly. And the thing yep. is, is that you can, 
you can talk all that shit and just be like, because I have black skin, I am the black community, but it's not actually true, right? Like I'm barely a part of the black community and a, lo a large portion of my friends are black community, but I understand that I've educated myself out of a lot of communities. I've, you know, like I've socialized myself out of a lot of communities. I don't, I do not relate to a lot of shit as a result of the fact that I've, you know, sort of have this tunnel vision and narrowed myself into a, into a space. And I know that about myself. Like I'm being honest about it, right? Like if I go to Texas, you like, there's a lot of shit in the black communities that I'm not, that I'm not going to, you know, that I'm not going to relate to. And I'm not going to understand Florida is a completely different world. And like, and that's one of those things that makes talking about black communities very difficult because the black community isn't monolithic. Not it's at not, all. We, we have, we're so diverse that, you know, um, it's very difficult for black people in, in Brooklyn to relate to Dade County black people in a particular way. We do not understand each other, but literally we might not even understand each other. Right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. Different language. Um, yeah. Just the, just on the, just on the, the, from a, from a linguistic space. Um, and well, it's funny um, when, when you bring up the, 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 the libertarian thing like that. So that's, what's so funny to me. Because I look at, I look at these like goofy, cookie cutter Democrats um, that will poll when it when it fits what they're doing. They'll poll and they'll they'll talk about Malcolm or, or they'll talk about these cats. And I'm like, if you were to take a modern libertarian and sit him down with the Panthers, I'd be like, okay, self sufficiency, check, check, check. pro Second Amendment, check, check really just want to be left the fuck alone so your community can thrive in a way because you know your community better than this weird fucking entity that sits over here. So you should be in charge of your community, not this weird entity that sits up on a hill. Check, motherfucking check. And it's like, people don't have that knowledge base and like, dude, I want, I want to share with you something that, that happened to me uh, last summer. So pandemic hit, tour gets canceled, and, and someone reaches out to me to go play a private party in Seattle. They're like, dude, we'll give you 10K, fly out here, play for an hour and a half. I'm like, all right, bet. Well, I hadn't seen my manager, who's a dear friend of mine, in like six months. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to get us a nice condo downtown. We'll hit some restaurants. Well, the, the Airbnb lady reaches out to me like four days before and goes, hey, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but uh, you know, the, the place that you're staying is right in the middle of what's being called the chop. So um, it's your call. If you want to cancel, I'll give you a full refund. I'm like, no, that's not my style. Like, let me get in there. Let's see what it is. You know, like, I want to see yeah. what's up. So it was on the second, second floor balcony. A, when I walked through the Black Lives Matter camp, I think I saw four or five black folks. It was, uh, it was lots of white folks holding meetings and, um, and doing shit. And then every single night, um, these huge, and I'm, bro, I watched this shit from 20, 30 yards from a balcony groups of, you know, 50 to hundred white kids all dressed up in black, setting cars on fire, throwing bricks through windows, throwing shit at the cops. And, and, and I watched this three nights in a row. And, and after the first night that next morning, I went to get coffee and I saw this black cop and I just went up to him and was like, yo, man, <laughs> So this has got to be weird for you, huh? And he was just like, dude, I've had more belittling and racist shit hurled at me in the past week than I ever have in my entire life. And 
there was this this narrative on the news was that like Seattle was this um this like summer of love peaceful demonstration of like uh of of oneness and unity and shit like that and, and it really irked me after I saw it changed my whole perspective on the shit because I was like hey this is being run by a bunch of fucking college white kids that have no fucking clue about anything and they're the ones that are imposing violence chaos destruction of property all of this and then the news media on the right is spinning it to make it look like black folks are going out and fucking all this shit up and it's like it, it to me it dude it just was so overwhelming the shit storm i was like okay now the far right has all the ammo they need to say look at these chaotic motherfuckers that are out here destroying their own neighborhood and the left was making it sound like it wasn't what it was which it was a it was chaos bro it was fucking chaos um i want your your take just kind of on that whole situation last summer of like of, of what you saw i mean i tried to i, I mean for me you know, my, my whole motto is everything is a psyop or like I live and die by that motto. Like it, it really is. Everything is a psyop. So for me, I'm looking at everything as a psychological operation. I'm like, if it's on TV, there's a reason it's on TV and I'm not going to, I'm going to be as mindful as I can about taking it in so that I'm not, you know, that I'm not swept up in the, in the psyop, you know what I mean? And I'm not yep. caught up in, because I, obviously this is, you know, instead of dropping flyers from the sky, from a helicopter, they're just broadcasting it into your home, into your fucking Oculus, you know, like your nerve and mm -hmm. right into your brain. And I had to be mindful of that because of who I am. I'm surrounded by a bunch of different types of people and I have access to a bunch of different types of people. So I have a bunch of different, um, people talking to me and looking to me to talk about situations often. So I, I still have to be abreast and aware of it. Like, you know, like this is a perfect example. Like I get these kind of requests and I'm very, I'm very strategic or, or about, you know, hopping on people's podcasts because I also don't want my words weaponized against, you know, communities, any community for that yeah. matter. But I, you know, like, like, I don't need my words weaponized. Like I, if I have an issue or a problem with a person, I'm gonna show up, you know, like yep. it's not going to be, it's not, I'm not gonna be, they're not gonna be able to talking points. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like <laughs> so, so I don't want, I don't want my words weaponized. And I know that that's inevitable, right? Like when you live in a society where sound bites and memes is the mode of operanda of communication, you, you know, your words get weaponized and, you know, people use them how they need to use them. I kind of understand that about art as well, right? Like my, my music career is a, is a really good example of that, you know, and, and helped me understand that. Like once your, mu once your art is out there and your music is out there in the world, uh, you don't really know who it's going to inspire and how it's going to inspire them. Like we had a massive following in the mountains of West Virginia in mm. as, as an all black sort of hip hop rock punk band out of Brooklyn, um, excuse me, out of Brooklyn, you know, I never thought that like, you know, sort of poor white boys in the fucking woods and mountains of West Virginia were going to take on our shit and be like, hell yeah. But it was because of the anti sort of state position that we had, that we had that sort of um, support system and you know in Seattle and we spoke to you know and same thing also a lot of you know a lot of veterans really fucked with our music as well and I was like anti-government anti-military like anti 
but I realized, you know, that they, for them, it was also fight music and they realized that, you know, what they got themselves into wasn't what they signed up for necessarily. And so they came home with the same chip on their shoulder that I had had. I just didn't have it from seeing the war. I kind of could already foresee it. Like I saw it in my mom's Native American. I saw it in my Native communities. I saw it in my, my father's obviously is black. I saw it in the black community. Like I saw America's bullshit very clearly in the communities that I Inter, grew up and interacted in and you know and the cultures that I, I'm from um, so I didn't need to go off to war to see it because I saw the war being fought at home you know like against mm -hmm. my people so so it was interesting to see how wars can be weaponized you know but um, back to your original question for me being able to see that it was a psyop I my whole my whole position was like yo this is this is obviously one, not what it seems, and you cannot trust sort of the narrative that's being presented and pushed. And I'm, I'm really wondering what truths can be extrapolated from this, you know, as opposed to what they're telling you it is, right? So I got really into, interested into sort of like, okay, where are the economic development zones? Because in 2018, 2017, 2018, 2019, I believe a pretty much, or 2018, 2019, I spent most of my time um, in, you know, in real estate and figuring out like areas that I could buy that, or I could, you know, put together deals and help people put together deals by, you know, rehab, just the birth strategy, like, you know, yeah. um, and just, you know, buy rehab refi um and just like repeat right so just go go from there um but i so i understood economic empowerment zone so i was looking at like where where these things were happening and why they were happening in particular areas and like what what the economic empowerment zone means in terms of tax havens and sh tax shelters for the wealthy and it kind of just all looked like like i said it, it all, all looked like a psyop on this level and then like a a cash grab on another level where it's like, okay, let's, let's destroy an area or let's put, let's push an ideology or let's push something into an area. Let's get them to destroy the area, devalue it, buy it on penny, buy, buy that back into that area of pennies on the dollar. And, you know, cause when there's blood in the street, buy land. So it's like, we'll, we'll buy back into it. And then I can also use it as a tax shelter and a tax haven. And I don't have to pay tax, capital gains taxes on. So I literally, every year, if I'm making a ton of money, I can dump that, I can dump the taxes, like I can dump that money into a new project, into an economic empowerment zone, and I don't have to pay taxes on that, as long as I invested in that project for 10 years or whatever. So it's like, to me, it's like, how do you make land go on sale? You, you know, you get the people start to, a war, start a, you know, yeah, to devalue the land, like you, you get people to riot, okay, start a war. All right, cool. Now the land's for sale. Like for me, that to me, that that's. But again, like I said, I like chess. The reason why from these conspiracies and all this shit aren't far fetched for me is because, in all truthfulness, this is how I would play it if I was in a position of power. Yep. I'm not. I'm a. I'm very open about this. I am an elitist, and I say that from a space of I'm not interested in mediocrity. Not for myself 
not for my friends, not for my peer groups, not for my own interests. I'm not interested in being amongst the masses in that capacity. Yeah. I don't want to be the average, you know, sum of the total. You know, like, I don't want to be the average jujitsu practitioner in, the, in my school. I want to be the best that I can possibly be. And I'm going to push myself against other individuals to be that. I don't want to be the average, you know, guy in the gym. It's like, no, after I'm working out, I'm stretching longer. I'm doing breath work. I'm doing, I'm not interested in being average. I'm not interested in being mediocre. I am elitist for sure. Right. Like, and yeah. I'm, I, and I understand that about myself. Again, I'm not <laughs> now my issue is not necessarily with elitism. My issue is with who is at the top and who became elitist and who is running shit and how they're running shit. If it was you, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it because I think that you would be a different representation of elitism that I would probably fucking work with, you know, and be like, okay, this is cool. Yeah. That's my real issue. And I know that I'm not like, oh, that everybody, you know, should have an equal say. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not really interested in everyone having an equal say in everything because I actually know that most people aren't willing to do the work that I'm willing to do and the research that I'm willing to do to know about a topic or to know about a subject so that when I do show up at the meeting, I and know what I'm talking about. And I didn't just, oh shit, well, oh shit, I'm late. I didn't even study for the fucking meeting and now I'm here and I think that my opinion should be validated. Like I genuinely believe in a hierarchy of competence not a hierarchy of dominance. Yeah, fuck, man. Could you imagine if that was how our system was run, was that it was actually a competence hierarchy? Well, dude, and that's, that's what's so funny. I remember one time I was at a barbecue and this lady was like kind of talking some shit about current events. And I was like, nah, man, have you ever been there? No? And, and, and pretty much just kind of deconstructed her whole shit. And she goes, oh, you think because you travel for a living, you know more about America than me? And I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, because I've been everywhere 10 times and you've never fucking gone anywhere. You know, like, yeah, that yeah. city you're talking about, I've spent time in, you know, like, yeah. So yes, I do know more about that than you because I've witnessed it with my eyeballs, you know, like, yeah. And, it, it, and it's such a funny thing that that's like foreign to people. I, I relate to all of that shit, man. And that's the thing is like, I think to go back to, to relate what you just said with what you said earlier, is like, that's like the fear to me is that people that, you know, I wake up at the crack of dawn by, by seven 30, I've already lifted, meditated and, and am ingesting my first meal. And that's fucking uncommon. That's whoa, man, you're, you're on some different shit. I'm like, am I though? Like I'm trying to optimize my human experience and, and be the most fucking sentient savage that I can be because I look at the world around me and know that that would serve me well to to not be common. I mean, fuck, like, you know, I, I, I was told that I needed neck surgery a while back and I, and I probably do, but what, what changed my whole perspective on it was I went and saw an integrative therapist and to speak to what you're saying, he goes, yeah, man, you have to understand all this data that they're throwing at you. Go walk inside a Walmart or a Costco. That's who they're pulling from. They're not pulling from a fucking athlete that that's eating clean, that's hydrating, that stretches, that does all the shit that you do. So like, if we were to like encompass data, yeah, and they're like, if we were to, if we were to be pulling data from people like you, the numbers would be completely different. You know, we're pulling from like the average layman. So it's like, you know, it, it, which is something else I want to talk about. What, what do you think the value is of like, you know, there's like that age old thing of like, 
you can only say you're peaceful if, if you're capable of great violence. Otherwise, you're just worthless. And like, well, I, I hold that super yeah. near and dear to my heart. Yeah, no, I mean, I, li I yeah, I definitely live by, hold on. Give me one second. I'm gonna turn on the AC because right now I am actually sweating my balls off. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry for sorry for that. Yeah, no worries, man. You said hydrate and made me think like, man, I didn't I haven't drank enough water. And then I was like, and I'm sweating. <laughs> My God, it's a bad combination. Um Yeah, where it's not like, dude, I'm not even um you know, my goal with, with becoming proficient in different modalities of violence is not to be a violent person. It's to, you know, it's like, you know, I always look at it like this on the, on the scale of human interaction. One is we're in the same room together. 10 is we're full on fighting one another. It's like, I spend a lot of time every week at seven through 10. So it's like one through six becomes really easy, you know, where I like, a situation might be heated and I don't have to get heated because I'm like, all right, bro. Well, if you go above a seven, I'm fucking chill as a cucumber there too. So it's yeah. like, uh, it, for me, for me, it brings me a lot more peace that, you know, the, the, the stronger I get, the more proficient in violence I become. It, it makes me actually a lot more calmer and compassionate. Um, because I think we look at people and see, see them as they really are, which like, it, I, I, I feel like training, particularly jujitsu, whatever insecurities you have, it's going to wring that shit right out of you, which is why so many people quit is like, I'm sure you've seen the same thing. Big yoke gym bros come into the gym and get choked out by a 130 pound girl. And rather than going, oh shit, I should learn what she knows. They're like, I would rather go back into the world, never come to this room again and just have the illusion that I'm a tough guy. Yeah. You know, um, so, well, so mean, what's I, your value in, even, in all that? Yeah, I think, well, then there's also reality that, you know, even jujitsu doesn't necessarily make you a tough guy as well, right? Like it makes you tougher, you yeah. know, I think. And, but I think that, I think that things are layered and they're layered in a way that, that we kind of have to, constantly they're layered so well that, that sometimes the ground that our ideologies stand on seem really really firm but we can you know like they can become destabilized really really quickly if we start peeling things you know peeling layers away um kind of like how you know i definitely believe that there is a technocracy agenda, a technocratic agenda at play that started in 1919. And they, they, they said it was going to take 100 years to execute. And by 2020, we were full on in like, part of that shit. Like, I believe that I know that that's I know that that's real. I know the technocratic society is a real thing. I know that they were pushing for a more genderless space. I know that they were pushing for more um, secure weak 
you know, a weak expression of humanity because, you know, strong men are hard to control. Like, I, I know that that those are real things. I understand that. What I'm not so certain about is whether or not it's actually good for us moving forward. You know, like, I, I, I think it's not for me, like, not personally in terms of what I'm interested in. But like I said, like, my ideas, I know they're not, I know that my ideas hold value to me. And I think that they hold value to other individuals, but I also have to recognize like I, there's a ton of shit. There's a ton of blind spots that I have that I can't account for. And there's things that I don't know. And if I, if I'm truthful about my understanding of that, which I don't know, is like, there could, this is this ridiculous hypothetical, but not really, <laughs> there could easily be like a, com a, a communication that, you know, whomever the powers of be have with interdimensional beings or aliens or some shit where they're like, look, we're not actually aliens. We're humans from the future. And we've developed like technology that allows us to travel back. And we're telling you, you have to change X, Y, and Z because shit is shifting. The poles are shifting and you guys are going to experience an ice age. So if you're not able to like get off of this planet in a particular way, you're going to die out. We've seen it happen. So here's some technology, technological advances here. And here's what you got to do to the masses to get them ready for those technolo technological advances. You got to get them smaller. You got to get them uh, genderless. You got to get them to stop worrying about X, Y, and Z. Figure out how to fucking do that shit. We'll be back in a hundred years. Right? Like, <laughs> that I, I, I can imagine a scenario like that where then it's like the responsibility falls on the overlords to figure out like, oh fuck, how do we do this? Because we need to save humanity. And guys like you and I are like, what the fuck? This is crazy. What are we doing? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But we don't understand. We don't have the foresight of a hundred years or, or 250 years or this delivery from a fucking alien that's telling us like, listen, I get it. Your bodies and what you fucking are talking about works for earth, but you're not going to have an earth in a couple in, in 150 years so you guys so that shit doesn't matter right so what matters is getting fucking genderless what matters is like figuring out how to reproduce outside of a woman like you don't need a fucking woman to reproduce where, where, where you're going there are no roads you know what i'm saying like that type yeah, of yeah, shit yeah. it's yeah. like get out of that mentality so i have to be honest with myself in the reality that you know maybe even the foundational ideas that i have are on shaky ground, you know. Like I can do, I can be real with myself in that way, and I can, and I can say, this works for me under the circumstances and the environment that I observe and that I've experienced. But I don't really know. There's a bunch of shit that there's a bunch of variables that I don't really know. So what I do for for myself, and I, I just sort of communicate my thoughts and my ideas in a way that is open for whomever to interpret to interpret however they want to interpret and i try to be i try to be as clear as possible and i try to use a lot of analogies that simplify complex ideas to people and break them down in a way that's digestible to them um so that they can sort of step back and be like hmm that's interesting i wonder and then they can make whatever decisions they need to make right like i'm not it's not that i'm saying that not that i'm saying that shit is necessarily wrong unless i genuinely believe it's wrong like i genuinely believe like 
pedophilia is fucking wrong. I don't give a fuck. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't care yeah. what is needed for the future or where we're going. I don't care. I'd rather the whole humanity fucking collapse than see suffering children, like suffering children in that capacity. Right? Like, fuck it. <laughs> fuck, fuck everybody. Like, I don't care. Yep. Like, but for the most part, pretty much everything else I try is like, I try to be a bit open-minded about and talk and talk from a space of like, these are the con these are the, my concrete ideologies and understandings that I've sort of developed thus far. I understand that they're built on layers and groundwork and framework that I've experienced and created, but I don't know what that means necessarily moving well, forward. Well, it, it's, it's weird too, because I can trace a lot of my pathology, right? I grew up around violence and I didn't want to be a victim of violence. So there's, there's this scared her kid in there that goes, well, get proficient in violence then. And then it, it's one less thing to worry about. So it's like, you know, I've seen it and I, and uh, you know, the, the, the thing that freaks me out most about this modern society is, is the breaking into groups and, and how important group identity is becoming, you know, where, where rather than like what you and I are talking about is, okay, you know, you seem similar to me and that I'm open to the notion that I could be full of shit on anything that I believe, yeah. you know, like I'm, I'm open to the notion that I could talk to someone that would could give me an angle on something that I was so concrete in and be like, Oh shit. You know, a big one, bro. Up until a year ago, you know, I was full on fuck the police. They are, they're this fucking, yeah. The fucking tip of the spear of the system, yada, yada, yada. And then I started teaching cops jujitsu and started going, Oh, you were just a dude that fucking left school that always wanted to be a cop to help. And now you're a cop and this is your job and you have two kids and a wife and, and, and you're not act a, you're not as an individual, uh, a racist. And you actually disagree with a lot of government. You actually, I, I I've yet to meet a cop that's doing jujitsu where I'm like, nah, man, that guy's a piece of shit. I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm certain they do. Um, but it wasn't until I started actually communing with, with police officers that I was like, oh, y'all are a bunch of individuals. Like, that's what this is. And I, and I think the same can, can be said about uh, gangs, right? As we have this view of like, well, gangs are these, uh, you know, these fucking domestic terrorist organizations that are off in each other, blah, blah, blah. But I've also met gang members on an individual basis where I'm like, I'll fucking kick it with you, man. You seem all right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I think that, that that's the important thing in this in this last election man we just saw people just getting piled into these groups and and if you think this then it means all of these things about you and if you think this then it means all of these things about you and it's like you know i i've been openly critical of joe biden for fucking years and i had people hitting me up being like yo man you have to use your your platform to publicly endorse this guy because you know the other option is trump and i was just like man as much as I don't want Donald Trump to be the president, I cannot publicly fucking say that I'm on this dude's team. I'm not gonna fucking vote for this guy. There's no way I'm putting my name next to his. Like, he's a racist. He's a fucking known racist. He's just an old school racist. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not like Trump where he's just blasting it out, you know? So it's like, that's, that, that's some shit that I've noticed with you that, that I think is really important. You touch on a lot of the nuanced shit um, where it's like, that that yeah dude if, if you're against joe biden that it, that it means that you were uh, a racist and it's like well dude i've been watching i've been watching what's been going on for longer than a year so i actually know who that fucking guy is you know 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, also the other thing is, is like for me, it's, it's pretty simple. Like anybody, I mean, Joe Biden's state that that statement, like if you don't if you don't vote for me, you're not black. Come on, man. It's like that. What the in fuck? Itself, like, wait, if a white person can define my blackness by me not, you know, me not basically being on their team, connecting myself to him and being on his team is like that's the definition of racism. Like, like what? I'm not, like, first of all. I don't do shit because you tell me to like, like all of this is predicated on like all this, everything is predicated on violence, like all of it. And that's so back, uh, circling back to your fucking original statement, like this, these sort of meditations on violence or studying violence and sort of being, spending time in violence. People don't realize that all of this is predicated on violence, right? Like there's nothing that any, that anything exists within our society that's not predicated on violence. All peace is predicated on violence. All safety is predicated on violence. All of these things are predicated on violence. It's just a matter of who's being violent, right? Like Joe Biden's ability, uh, fuck Joe Biden, but whatever, whoever the powers, the, the power's ability to have the feds execute a search warrant and is, that's violence, right? Like it's the ability that at, at some mode, at some, at, at some point, there has to be violence behind everything else right there has to be like because otherwise it's just like fluff it's just like okay we're just well, talking that's, about that's why you pay a parking you, ticket right, if you, you don't pay a parking oh, ticket we'll send a man to come get you about it you yeah, know yeah, what i mean like that's it ticket. it's like traffic ticket i don't give a fuck about this boom and then keep you going right it's like no no here's a traffic ticket now here's a court date traffic ticket court date i don't give a fuck about this boom like you you know like oh now here's the police showing up at my door because i don't give a fuck about these pieces of paper oh okay so traffic like traffic violations are about violence, right? Okay, yep. got it, got it, got it. Now I understand. It's about, <laughs> yep. it's about this chain of like, ding, 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 like, oh, like me not parking somewhere, and you, your ability to write me a ticket for park for overstaying my fucking meter for that really implies like do this or face the consequences of potential violence. But real all violence is also predicated on death. So it's like do this or suffer the consequences of death because that's where the chain goes right like because if i'm not because if i don't agree with the police at my door now i have to lock and load now the consequences somebody's death and then oh we sent the police that didn't work he killed two police officers we're sending swat right so now now it's my death it's like all over a fucking parking ticket because the whole system is predicated on the ability to execute force originally will force violence death like in that order it's like i could willfully accept this parking ticket pay it willfully and then we have no problems but really i'm agreeing to this entity's will right if i if i agree benevolently and calmly and comfortably if i bow my head then yeah everything is fine kind of you know it's well that, and that was that was so much it, man, with these protests. So I know a couple people that are, that are uh, journalists for like these leftist magazines that are, that are advocating violence as a means of protest. And I'm, I can't help but go like, you don't understand, dude. You were trying to meet a force whose very essence is violence. That is their fucking doctorate. That is their fucking master's degree. That is what they do. Yeah. Bottomless funding. 
So you're telling me you want to get a bunch of motherfuckers in the street and go meet these people with violence? Like you will never, ever win that battle. And it's the same thing that I think with like, when you see these fucking far right wing dudes carrying their fucking ARs on their chest, it's like, you've clearly never had somebody shot next to you. Like that is not a fucking game, dude. If a 223 rips through your homie, like, dude, that is serious motherfucking business. So yeah, to come out not. here and even, yeah, so to even come out here like you want to play some fucking violence, yeah, dude, you're going to get a fucking baseball-sized hole in your body. Like, stop. Like, that's the thing is I just am watching this fucking, this fake movie play but out with both that, sides. That, okay, so I want to ask you a question. Maybe that begs, no, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a different question. Those Bosnians that you grew up with, what type of character of individual were those individuals? Like what type of character of men, woman, did you sort of notice them to be? So there was, there was kind of, um, I saw a couple things happen. There was like a small group of them that immediately kind of started gangs just in the way of like, okay, we got black kids and white kids. We got to start our own shit and people need to be scared of us. So they leave us the fuck alone. But overwhelmingly the ones that I was friends with, were so grateful to be in America, couldn't even fucking believe that they were here. You know, their, their parents, there'd be, you know, at the Section 8 uh, complex in our neighborhood, it was like, you'd have three kids, two folks, and a set of grandparents in a two-bedroom apartment, and they couldn't be more fucking happy because they had seen that real violence. And to just not be in the vicinity of it was like, fuck the fact that we're sleeping on the ground, dude. No bombs are going off. Nobody's getting shot in the face. Like, we're fucking good. Um, right. Which, again, I asked that question as a setup, right? Like, I asked that question because it made me think, like, I, I think about this often, like, all these people that are calling for violence and don't know violence, maybe they need violence. Like, maybe what we actually need is a bloodletting in the house, if this sounds crazy, but maybe we actually need like a bloodletting and a culling and a reminder of what actual violence is and what violence does and the danger, like, and why we, why we work towards a safer society and why we work towards, you know, the things that we've probably grown to take advantage of. And it was like, remember, it's like, in order sometimes to appreciate your shoes, you gotta like walk barefoot. But sometimes to like appreciate your feet, actually, but really like then sometimes to appreciate your feet, you got to get both your fucking legs broken. It's like you know, like mm -hmm. I don't. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know. It's like I. I and it's only it, honestly, if I didn't have my nieces, it would be. It would, I'd be totally okay with it being like full on catastrophic civil war out in these streets right but because i have loved ones that are children now i'm like mm. yeah granted they are have their they like my my family has now become wealthy in a particular way or at least my, my brother for sure um so he you know he's insulated in in, in a particular way but I already know that he still has a warrior mentality. His kids still have warrior mentalities. They still are like, you know, he makes them run hills before they do all sorts of shit. And like, so he, he's, so I'm not even, there's a part of me that's like, well, I ain't worried about him with money. I'm worried about the Bill Gates of the world with money. Mm -hmm. Because people who intrinsically feel powerful don't seek power 
over others because they know where they already yep. have it. Yep. Right. So it's like I don't, I don't, and this is also the reason why there's this this search for social coin and why like the social justice warriors of the world and all these things are so valuable is because they need societal value because they don't have biological value intrinsically. Mm. That's right. So they're looking for the sound. Like if they had biological (laughs) value intrinsically, like the dude who all the girls are pursuing doesn't need to be on some social justice warrior shit. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't need to because these girls might be pursuing him. They're not even knowing why. Like I just smell his fucking pheromones and I'm on him. Like this is what it is. So I don't actually, I don't need to do extra shit. You don't need to do extra shit. I don't need to be, I don't need social value in that way. Cause I already obviously have biological value, which grants me a social value, the real social value that matters. These girls, these chicks want to reproduce with me, right? But when you don't have social value, you have to create, I mean, when you don't have biological value that you believe in and understand is tangible, then you need to create values, right? So to me, I look at, I, I look at Bill Gates and the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world and they're, it's so the Elon Musk is so obvious to me of how fragile they are as human individuals, like like as a human yeah. being yep. walking the earth. I'm like, that's such a that's a fragile human that has to create an empire around them in order to create social value because otherwise they get ignored. I mean, face it's in the name, Facebook. The guy Mark Zuckerberg was just mad at women. He was just, you know yep. what I'm saying? Like he was furious at women that didn't notice him. So he created a, 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 a book of rating system to yeah. rate them. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and we live in the, and die on that platform basically, you know what I'm saying? And, and that's the end of, that's the type of individual that creates something of that nature because they're so, they're so intrinsically weak and fearful within themselves naturally that they have to create a, sort of false entity or a uh, avatar entity that exists beyond themselves so that they can have value you know like and so, so dude, that just that, these- that just made me understand that shit so deep because dude i have people come at me so sideways sometimes on the internet and my first dude i had i had one one dude in particular man where i had i had like written a fucking dossier on this kid and it was like all right dude well next time i'm in your city i'm just gonna fucking pull up at your work and then it was like i moved into this place of supreme empathy once it like hit me of just like oh man imagine where this person is at as a man that this is what he's doing he's spending his time getting on his phone getting on his computer trying to chop people down from the safety of his bedroom you know it's like oh man you're yeah you're clearly you clearly are a powerful, strong, sentient, self-reliant person. Cause that's why you're out here doing this bullshit, you know? And, it, and we see it too with like this weird, um, these like male feminists that it's like so transparent where it's like, okay, if I can be the most extreme feminist ever, that will make women feel, feel safe. Shit. Yes, exactly. It's like, it'll make women feel safe enough to want to be around me. I was just, I just talked to my neighbor, you know, I'm in, I'm in Tulum right now uh, in, in Mexico. And I was talking to my neighbor about, you know, she's always talking to me about like the spiritual community here and all this shit. And I'm like, look, I grew, I actually grew up in that, like meditation, yoga, 
going into the woods, spirit, uh, spirit quests, uh, vision quests, and and, and I, I genuinely, my mom's native, my grandmother's native. I grew up in that that conversation about the spirit world and the, and the, the the realness of spirituality or what people deem spirituality for me is so prevalent and so evident that it's like. I didn't grow, I grew up, I didn't have any money growing up. We didn't grow up with money. But I definitely grew up with a trust fund of spirituality. Like mm-hmm. 100%, like I'm like a spoiled fucking rich kid in the, in the spiritual world. So, cause I'm super dismissive of the shit. Like I'm like, you know, like, and I have to remember that I have to check myself on that. Like check my privilege in that space because I grew up with these conversations. Whereas, you know, these, individuals now are seeking them out and they're finding them through Instagram and they're finding them through TikTok and they're finding their path. And I'm, and I have to remember that that's part of it, right? Like that's, that's where they're at, but I can see through the bullshit so clearly, like in terms of the guys that come, especially guys, because women, women don't know men. And men don't know women, right? Like we 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 don't know it. We shouldn't know it. It's not even like a thing. Like it doesn't make any sense. We're two different. We're two different variants of a species, and we shouldn't try to even necessarily, like, we shouldn't really even try to like understand each other in that capacity, right? Like where there's a there's a space where we should appreciate each other truly. Overall, we should always appreciate each other, but we don't actually need to understand the nuances of each other because we aren't each other. We're very different. And we serve very different functions. So men can see through men's bullshit way easier than women can. We literally are like, oh, I know. And the reason why is because we know it. We do it. We, we, we've experienced it. We know when we're trying to get over. We know when we're trying to like talk slick and when we're trying to avoid something or when we're. So, you know, I have a friend who's like, yo, you know, I'm, I, I have these, you know, these individuals here in life. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to fuck about none of that shit. Like, I don't care. She, this, is my, this is my next door neighbor. I'm like, I don't care. I don't trust none of these dudes. And she's like, well, she's like, that's crazy that you would go into the situation with such a negative. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm like, I have to balance out all the fucking positive shit that you guys are going into the situation. All of you guys are going into the situation positive. Well, aren't you about balance? Isn't your search for understanding and balance? So a person like me has to come and introduce discomfort and, you know, like, and push things to a space because I'm here for the fire. I'm not here for, I'm not here to bring that fucking, you know, the comfort of yoga. I'm here for the discomfort of yoga. Mm -hmm. I like, right? Like yoga isn't about a fucking pose. It's about the whole point of yoga is to do the strenuous shit so that you can sit still longer and breathe. Yeah, dude, I I heard Deskachar poses. Totally. Deskachar said the goal of yoga is to find that perfect line between too much and not enough and stay there. You know, like, to me, to me, that breaks it down. Yeah, like you just said, no, it's about this. Can I be in this discomfort and breathe? Can I be in this discomfort and and, and calm myself? Yeah, it's like that, that's it. So, you know, like searching, they're searching for this balance, but it's like I see these guys all the time. I mean, I ran into one, it's one of these guys the other day in the gym, and, you know, basically when he was – he had told me a particular story about his journey and was like, yeah, I'm going to holler. We should do jujitsu. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I haven't done it in two years. And I was like, oh, that's all good. Like, yeah, it'd be great for you to get back on the mat. And then I kind of noticed he kept emphasizing that he hadn't done it in a really long time. And I was like, 
bro, you don't need no like parental advisory sticker. You could be, you could beat me. You could not beat me. I don't give a shit. Like it don't matter. Like if, if I beat you, I, I was better at you, I'm better than you in that moment. Like, like you don't have to like give me no like warning. I don't need to fucking preview of why you didn't, you know, defend it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like whatever, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, cool. You're, and he's yoked, like a big, strong dude. And I'm like in the gym doing his thing. I'm like, yo, that's what's up, man. Like, cool. Then I left my bag in the gym and I saw that he was like hollering at one of the girls in the gym. And I was, and when I went to go pick up my bag, I overheard him talking to her. And he was like, yeah, he was talking about jujitsu and shit. And I was like, he's a whole different fucking story. Right? Like, and he's talking about, you know, like 10 years in and all this other shit. And I'm like, there's no fucking way that this dude practiced jujitsu for 10 years and talked to me the way he talked to me about jujitsu. Yep. It just doesn't make any sense, right? Like we, first of all, one, the conversation, the excitement of the conversation would have been different. It would have been like, there would have been something else. Like I, I, I'm around high level jujitsu guys all the time. I know them, you know what I'm saying? Like I know them intimately. Yep. I know what that's like. I'm, it, it would have been different. So I'm listening to him. I'm like, oh yeah. I was like, where's, I was like, oh, shit, Tanya, I'm like, where'd you train? And he'd be like, oh, was startled that I was oh, there. Oh, shit, that guy's back. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, oh, I, I trained in Toronto. He's like, but it was like a small gym with an ex-UFC guy. He's like, he might still be in the UFC. I'm not sure. Oh, no, he said, he was like, he's a UFC guy. And he was like, actually, he might be out of the UFC now. I'm not sure. And I was like, oh, word. And he's like, yeah, in, in Toronto. He's like, but he's like, you probably, you know, He's like, you probably wouldn't know him or anything. And I was like, uh, he's like, his name is Misha. Misha's, he's like, I can't remember his last name right now, but he's trying to like, basically he trained with like, him for 10 years, but you don't remember his last but name. But then he's hollering at the girl. You know, like he's really, really, he's here trying to holler at the girl. Shirt off, muscles out, tattooed up. I mean, I actually, I want to train with the guy because he looks like he's in good fucking shape and like in condition and all this shit. Tells me, he's like, Misha. I'm like, Misha. I was like, in Toronto. I'm like, oh, I know, who, I know him. I know his wife, Brittany Churchill. She's like a really, she's really dope. He's really dope. Solid, like solid people. I've known her for years. Like she's a really good, you know, really good person. And, and, but I was like, oh, I know him and his wife, Brittany, whatever. And I started, I was texting a friend of mine. And I, th I think this is purely like, just from his reaction, I think that he thought that I was texting him. I don't know Misha like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like yep. it's not like that. But I think he thought that I was texting him. And he was like, oh, he's not going to remember me or anything. He's not going to, like, he just went into that type of space. Like, oh, bro, it was so long ago. He's not even going to remember. He's not going to remember me. And I'm like, oh, it's cool, guy. Like, I'm not, I'm not, like, texting you nothing. It's like, it's chill. It's chill. Then he was like, oh, okay, cool. Went back, he started talking about this breathwork thing. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna do a breathwork shop. And I was like, I saw him doing breathwork earlier. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. He's doing some interesting breathwork after the workout. Not some shit that I had seen before, but whatever. Maybe I don't, I don't know all the fucking breathwork techniques of the world. And I'm looking at him and I, I mean, and I'm now he's talking about breathwork. And I'm like, dope. I was one of the founders of Wildfire Initiative. The whole basis of it was, you know, exploring the the breath and explain you know exploring the self through the breath and the experience of self through you know hiking and conversation and breath work and and i was like and we were a pretty well-known entity in los angeles so that's in my wheelhouse i like this you know let's chop let's chop it up let's talk about this he's talking about breath i asked him about breath work 
I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's dope. I was like, you're teaching? And he was like, yeah, man. He's like, I kind of do my own thing. I go with the flow. I don't really study any breath work. I haven't really had, I just do what I uh, teach. And I'm like, you teach breath work, but you don't like study breath work? Study like, it? And he's like, he's like, well, no, I've, I've taken from bits and pieces from there. I'm like, yo, I was like, you know that there's a reason why like ancient traditions like have masters that showed up and then like lineages come through those masters because it's like time under pressure create you know like you find you figure out like don't reinvent the wheel and i'm like but that's dope man like go with the flow feel your thing you know hickson flow with the go <laughs> like whatever mm -hmm. man and i just left there realizing like yo this is kind of there's three times that i've experienced this when people reinvent themselves in this capacity. College was the first place that I really understood that people were showing up and reinventing who they were versus who they, like who they are versus who they were in high school. Bushwick, Brooklyn and Williamsburg, Brooklyn was the Williamsburg, second place for sure. that <laughs> where I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like these are like adult people now doing it again like it was one thing when it was kids, but now I'm like looking at these kids. I'm like, I know that this person doesn't move like this back in Montana where they're from, or doesn't move, doesn't right. act like back in fucking, you know, Minneapolis or whatever. It was just like so weird to me. And then now I'm, I'm having that same experience again in Tulum where I'm seeing these people that have come here to whatever their search is and whatever, and they've reinvented themselves on this spiritual fucking path. And I'm like, yo, everything is spiritual. You do understand that, right? Like, everything is spiritual everything and and they don't and i and i see those type of guys that you know they popping up all the time that i'm like yo you guys don't you're these all these dudes they're all it's all pimp shit they're just they're just veiling it it's power it's power it's the same the church religion pimp shit powered all the shit is is about it's like like I need to feel valuable to you, girl. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. Well, like and, and dude, and I think it's like, I think it's even past just like wanting to get laid. I think people are really lonely. And I think when you start to see other people coupling up, if you don't have your own shit, you start to be like, well, how come no one's picked me yet? And, what, and what's so funny about it to me is it's like, it's such a fucked up cycle is it's like, well, no one's picking you, dude, because you don't even know who the fuck you are. So it's like, how's someone going to get to know you if you don't even know who the fuck you are? So like, I, I think about like that situation of that dude hollering at that girl. Okay, well, the fucking first 15 minutes of your relationship with this girl is predicated on absolute fucking nonsense. So now you already have this bullshit storyline that you have to keep up with. So it's like, yeah, dude, because you're not real. So you're having these shallow interactions and eventually this girl finds out you're full of shit and then Joe Schilling knocks her ass out at a bar and, uh, and then... <laughs> And then that's the or fucking maybe, end of it. Or maybe, maybe the dude, maybe the dude does have a ten-year relationship with fucking jujitsu, and he's a monster, and he's amazing, and that's just his personality. He's just uncomfortable in communicating it in a way that I'm used to, so I, I misjudge. But that's him. weird, man. No, because, because, bro, I've had, and you know how this goes, man. I had, we were on tour, and I was at a fucking gas station in the middle of fucking nowhere, and had a t-shirt on. I had a violent gentleman jujitsu t-shirt on. This dude pumping his gas goes, yo, man, where do you train? The Grindhouse, Billy's, Montana. He goes, oh, shit, well, who's that under? I'm like, oh, Bernardo Faria. 
goes, oh, shit, respect. What, what belt are you? I'm like, purple belt. He's like, oh, shit, me too, son, blah, blah, blah. Like, just like that. Two strangers pumping gas, instant. Oh, cool. We are a part of this same international brotherhood. We are in the same religion. You know right. what I mean? Where it's like, yeah, like those interactions don't go out like, oh, no, 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 no. Let me fucking feed you a whole weird side story here. Like, you know, and it's like, and it's such a small community. Like, that's the thing too, is like, I recently became good friends with Rashad Evans. And he said, he's hanging out backstage with me at a show. And he was, he's, I think he was talking to his wife on the phone, but he's like, yeah, man, it's crazy. The kid can crack. And he gets off the phone. I'm like, how do you know I can crack? You know, like you've never, we haven't trained together. How do you know? And he's like, bro, this is a fucking small world. I saw a picture of you with Tyler Wombles. I hit up Wombles. Yo, can he crack? Yeah, man, he's good. Oh, okay. You know, so it's like, I feel like the jujitsu community and MMA community is so small that it's like, you can't, you know, it's like, it's why those like fake black belts get exposed so fucking quick. Cause it's just like, oh, well, this is a fucking yeah. easy tell. So, so that, I mean, even, even that circles back to your point though, about like, you know, it's kind of nervous about the groupings that are happening right now. And I think that there's a reason for tribalism in that way, right? Like we find a lot of times we find ourselves through our peers. We find ourselves through our tribe, right? Or, or also, also we find when we're not supposed to be. And it's like, look, I, I don't know. I'm actually not supposed to be with y'all. You know, like there's, there's, there's an adverse of, is people lie to themselves so they can stay in the tribe because they're scared to be alone. Yeah, but it's hard though. It's hard. It usually is hard to stay in, in a tribe. You suffer, you know, like we, and, and we all suffer as a result, right? Like we, we, we're not really designed to be in this type of environment that we're, that we're in right now, this society that we're in and we're suffering as a result of it, right? You know, like all species in captivity go through a psychosis and you, humans are just the only species that put themselves in fucking captivity, right? So <laughs> we, we're experiencing that psychosis in a real way, but you know, it's hard to sort of stay in a, in a community, like, like jujitsu, right? Like it's hard to stay in that jujitsu community and, and, and fake it, right? And then because if you're faking it every day, you're gonna you're gonna be a judicial practitioner, right? Like I don't give a fuck if you fake going to practice every day when you go to practice every day and you show up. It's like you're gonna learn how to protect your neck. You're gonna learn yeah. how to. You're gonna learn. Next thing you know, go ahead, fake that shit for a while, because you're not gonna fake it to blue belt or purple belt. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not gonna fake it. Mm -hmm. You're gonna not. Nah. It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't exist in certain communities. And I think that that's good. I think it's good. Like, I think that, I think that, well, first of all, one, to respond to your comment where you think it goes beyond, you know, getting laid. I don't actually think anything goes beyond that. I think that our, at our core is only like violence and sexuality and violence to protect Dude. sexuality. Like, I genuinely believe <laughs> yes. that. Like, I think that we break this shit, if we get down to this thing fully, it comes down to reproductive, like re bi reproductive biological traits. Like that's really, I think all this shit is. And I think especially, and I think that that's the reason why violence and, and reproduction and sex are so closely related because the chemical that basically regulates both of them they, they, is the same chemical. It's one chemical that regulates both of those things. And in order, because this one is valuable, because this one is important but relies on time, this one becomes almost more valuable. 
Cause I like, if I can execute violence today, I can fuck tomorrow. But you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you can, it, and I, I believe this, and this is me literally making shit up out of my head. Like I'm pulling from the fucking atmosphere. The, the universe is just sending me a message or something could be completely wrong, but I genuinely believe that's why you see, that's why men who might be incels or not actually sexual and have low testosterone still can commit acts of violence and do horrendous acts of violence because, because violence is actually more important than sex. The ability to execute violence, I believe, is more important than sex because if you can protect yourself today, you can figure out having sex tomorrow. But if you can't protect yourself today, this doesn't even exist. So this is more important. Being able to be violent is more important than being able to have sex. And I think that's why you get these individuals who are like these, you know, school shooters and shit who, you know, like are just frustrated and people, guys who are on video games who hate females, who are able to, you know, show up at a female's house and shoot her in the face or do some crazy shit, even though they have super low testosterone and they have super in their, in their, well, it's an assertion of power of being like, okay, well, yeah. I might not be able to get to get the girl, but watch this shit. Yeah. Right. 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 That. And also I think that it's like, but I have enough testosterone to make me angry enough to execute violence. Right. Because that part of, to me, that part of that test testosterone regulating violence and sex, I think testosterone probably, um, uh, 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 I'm, I'm at a loss for the word right now, but probably um, favors violence first. Like, fuck, because I have to protect myself to be able to have sex. I don't have to, like, you know, like I don't necessarily need to like be able to have sex to protect myself. That doesn't, that those two don't work that way. It's, it's this yep. and this. So it's like, so we're gonna pri prioritize is the word I was looking for. I don't know why that escaped me. I would imagine that Chemically, we prioritize violence over sex, our ability to execute violence over sex. We enjoy sex more, we want sex more, we want all those things, but when it comes down to it, it's like, if we're not getting this, we better have this. You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're not, yeah. having, if we're not getting sex, we better have violence because, because that's the only way we're gonna well, figure that, out- Well, dude, and to, to break that down, even like, like historically, I'm a big history guy. And it's funny, man, that like, people are like, oh, you know, well, masculinity is uh, like this whole notion of toxic masculinity and that masculinity is drenched in violence. And it's like, yeah, I mean, kind of, but it's been that way since we were walking upright. Like, dude, I look at the samurai and, and once all of the clan wars had stopped and, and it was one unified clan in Japan, what did they do? It took fucking five years before they were like, well, fuck, dude, our entire culture is predicated upon warriors. I guess we'll go to Korea and start some shit. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's like there's um there's that craving there where people and and to me that's what's so cool about uh, about Muay Thai and about mixed martial arts and jujitsu is is there's this healthy place for that because I think dude at my core I am a fucking knuckle dragger. I like to I like to fight and, and, and it's this primal, and I know not everybody has that, but there's this primal thing in me that likes to fucking bang up against the world a little bit and see where I'm at. And I feel like that's, that's kind of being, you know, and, and, but, I, but they're trying to, I feel like culture is trying to say that that's a bad thing, that shouldn't exist, it is toxic. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's toxic if you're the douchebag at a bar dropping the N-bomb at the fucking busboy, but it's not when 
you're the righteous dude that knocks that dude on his ass and then gets a message from a girl being like, yo, that's my ex-boyfriend. He actually physically abused me for four years. Thank you for knocking that asshole out. Which I don't know if you saw that, but yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's, it's, it, nobody likes violence until it's necessary. You know, like I think I talk about that. My wife is, is a yogi uh, to the fucking max. She is uh She's an Ayurvedic practitioner. She's a psychotherapist. She operates in this very thing, but she will admit like as much as she doesn't like to participate in violence, she likes knowing that if someone came to do violence to us, that it would probably get handled. You know, she likes knowing at her core that she's protected, that her children are protected. And it's like to strip that away and say that that's not a part of healthy masculinity and that it's toxic for our society. It's like, dude, that's so ass backwards. It's like, like Jordan Peterson says, it's like, no, dude, become a fucking monster and then learn how to control it. Yeah, I mean, I think Jordan Peterson is full of shit, too, though. I don't, I mean, I, <laughs> he, I, I mean, I, I agree with that. I agree with that statement. There's a ton of statements that, that he makes that I agree with, but I think he at his core is full of shit. I think that he isn't any of the things that he talks about. And I think that he doesn't really know what it means to be any of the things that he fucking talks about and his bout with his bout with opioid addiction or whatever addiction it is to me is an obvious indicator of the fact that he don't know what the fuck he was talking about he didn't know what he was talking about before then and he didn't know he don't know what he's talking about now it's like bro my, i don't seen people put get like i don't seen people get laid out like like all sorts of wild shit and then and when the painkillers came he was like they were like I don't take that shit. I don't give a yep. fuck what this pain is. I'm I'm deal with it. Like I'm gonna eat this. I'm you know like I because I I I want the pain. I want to go into the darkness. I want to visit the 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 trauma of this experience through the pain so that my body remembers. Don't do that shit again. Right? There are people who have those philosophies who are just like nah nah nah. I'm interested. I I I don't think well, I when I. I never took. I, uh, a, I've never taken a painkiller. I mean, like, I, in my I can't. Life, I don't. I've I don't never like taken it. a fucking painkiller. Yeah, I um. So I have two discs that are that are compressing on my spinal column, and it was kind of slow, but it hit, man. And I had about six weeks where I was getting an hour, maybe two hours of sleep a night. It, it, first time ever uh, as an adult that I cried from pain, um, and it was it was pretty. It was daily. And um, I had this weird thing where I think it was like a mix of the sleep depravity and, and I was just all fucked up and, and I was sleeping in my office so I wouldn't wake my wife up. I would just sleep on the floor. And one morning I woke up and I, and I did just that. I was just like, all right, what is this shit here to teach me? So I would like, I started doing this weird shit where I'd wake up and be like, all right, motherfucker, like, I guess we're going to sit together. Like I started seeing pain as this thing that was coming to visit me. And I would sit with it and just be like, all right, like, yeah. all right, take me to the I'm dark gonna, side. I'm like I was on psychedelics, you know? Yeah. So hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is, this is a, a, um, a really interesting conversation for me. I'm looking at my phone real quick because I want to find something to, to uh, talk about. I'm not ignoring you. Give me one second because there is, I, I'm a big, like, I like the, um, oh, I turned, I turned my fucking Wi-Fi off so it wouldn't be disturbed. I'm a, I like the, uh, I'm a big fan of like Star Wars books. 
I'm mm-hmm. a big fan. I like Star Wars books. I like the way individuals explore the ideas of Star Wars without George Lucas. Because <laughs> I'm not like a fan of the, sh- the movies and shit. But I'm a fan of the ideas and the premise, right? So there's a Star Wars book that I read a, a while ago that's really fucking dope. And I'm trying to find out if I have it in my Kindle or if I have it in my, I'm gonna find it. But essentially, it, this Star Wars book is about um, one of Luke Skywalker's kids being captured and being tortured. And the, essentially the majority, I would say like 80% of the book is just about his, him being tortured and his relationship to pain. And what is this, what this, this um, species of aliens is doing while, the, while, they, while they have this Jedi with them. And they're like, we have, to, we have to get you to understand that there is no fucking dark side, no light side of the force. You have to understand, we're trying to get you to understand that the only God is pain because it's the only thing that all of us pray to. It's the only thing that shows up and, and makes all of us fall to our knees. It's the only thing that we unify, like we unify, the unified collective bends the knee to is, is pain. God damn it, I can't even find my fucking, um, oh good, it signed in for me. There you go, technology working. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna find this name of this book, but it's amazing because his, how he be, the relationships that he develops with pain um, the, the, the relationship that he develops with pain is like really, really interesting. And like, oh, okay, here it's called, uh, interesting. It's called Traitor. Um, Star Wars, the new Jedi order. Um, yes. The name of the book is Traitor Star Wars legends, uh, Star Wars, the new Jedi order book 13, but it's a, it's a, it's, I don't know. I really, I really, and here the prologue. I don't know if you guys can see that, but the prologue is the embrace of pain. the embrace of pain. So this is, I'm with you on that. But and and I there's, I don't know. I think Jordan Peterson is a is a intellectual who stumbled, you know, into fame, and then gripped it with a like almost nonsensical grasp and just is like just saying anything that he can and maintaining this position of authority in this like but but his idea of authority doesn't really seem to be based on competency to me it seems based on like the fact that he has well i don't i just think it's not i think it's based on an intellectual understanding rather than a physical or biological understanding i think i don't even i don't yeah but even that though it's kind of like i don't it feels Okay, I, I mean, I can, I can accept that, but to speak, to the way that he speaks on things in that capacity feels like, nah, you need to experience some shit to, to speak with such authority, you know, and to, to speak with such vigor and such authority for me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like Tom DeBlas telling me to become a monster and then learn to harness it would, would be a little more effective than Jordan Peterson telling me to become yeah, a monster. Yeah, you know? I mean, it's also more believable. It's more, it's more, I think it's more based in like a, a truly under, a true understanding of it because the reality for me is that these are nice ideas. 
You know, they're nice, they're nice ideas, but if you don't know what it means to do that and be that and go through it, right? And my brother always says, he's like, honestly, I don't trust, I don't really trust anybody if I didn't bleed or sweat with them consistently. And it's like, and my, my brother was in the NFL for eight years. Uh, we grew up, you know, training every day together, like pretty much of our, of our, of our lives. Um, and he's like, yo, I kind of just got to see what it like when shit gets hard. Like I'm not interested in your philosophies when things are good. Like that's easy to expound, expound and espouse philosophy of, of like spirituality and balance and, and, you know, and, and leaning into discomfort and shit. That's fine until your mom is dying. Like that's yeah. when I want to see how it shows up because we, you know, like, when my grandmother was dying, this is the conversation we were having with my grandmother. We were like, yo, what's up? You excited about the other side? Like, you excited about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, we weren't mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, like, oh, gosh, you know, like, be okay, let's try to. We are like, yo, don't drink that shit that the doctors told you to drink. You're going you're gonna to become diabetic. You know, like, yo, the doctors are telling you to drink that, but it's full of fucking sugar to, just to get the calories. I'll put you on a cleaner fucking protein that if you need calories, we'll get you calories. But don't drink insure. It's bullshit. Mm -hmm. Right. The hospital fucking contract with them. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, are you willing to take that conversation to the moments? Does, does that part of your being show up in the moments of despair, in the moments of, you know, when things are hard, when, you're, when your wife is suffering in a particular way, are you still hardline stanced about something that you believe in and because you know that it's true and it's true to the situation? Like, no, do this because it's hard. Like, and because it'll work, but it's going to be hard. Or am I going to be like, you know what? It's not even worth the conversation right now. Just feel better here. Here's, here's the fucking pain pills, but you're going to still have cancer mm -hmm. or something. You know what I mean? Like, right. to me, it's a matter of, like who you are when you show up when like, when it's round 13, mm -hmm. not the 12th round, when it's round 13, and you thought that it was only a fucking 12 rounder and you realize like, oh, what? There's another round? That's when I can see who you are. And to me, Jordan, you know, like a guy like Jordan Peterson, and again, I could be being overly harsh and whatever, but I, I, I've always felt this about him even before this, but I felt like that was a moment where I was almost like vindicated in my feelings, you know, because everyone was always looking to me like, Bro, what the fuck? Do you like agree with a ton of shit he says? I'm like, yeah, I do. I just think he, I just think he's lying. I think yeah, he, he's. I don't think he's the right messenger. Yeah, like I think, I think that, I think that he is is not it. Like I think he's. This whole thing is just like a, a manipulation, and like his his inability to articulate to intelligently articulate white privilege was is very strange to me, right? Because I know the privileges that I have. Right. Like I know the privileges that I have as an individual when they show up and where they show up and where they exist and all this shit. Right. And I can be able to articulate that based on it. Right. I know I know as an American, I have certain privileges and I and I understand them and I'm able to articulate them very clearly as a result of none of nothing of my own doing. I didn't mm -hmm. create the American system that makes my American passport a fucking privilege, but I know that I have it and I know that, mm -hmm. that it's a privilege. It's not hard for me to articulate that. I yeah, that's a tricky that's a tricky thing too, man, cuz I always try to tell people like dude, there's so there's so many things in the American system to be critical of, 
but I always try to remind people when they're, when they're really off on the fucking anti-America tangent of like, yeah, bro, but you won the lottery by being born here. You could have been born in fucking Syria. You could have been born in Saudi Arabia. Like it could have been way shittier, (laughs) you know, like. No, for sure. Look, and for me, that's what I'm saying. Like my, look, my, my issue with America is my issue with America is nuanced in a way that it's systemic, right? Like I'm like, look, I understand, like, I understand the value of America, which is why I'm here arguing for it and against mm-hmm. it, right? I'm arguing against these things that exist within it because I understand the value of it. It's like, yeah. I'm holding America accountable to its language of being the land of the free, home of the brave, land of opportunity. I'm holding you accountable to that. I'm, no, no, I'm actually being a patriot because I want to yep. see America be the thing that is proclaiming it is. I'm Amen. extremely patriotic. That's that's what I always that's what I always say too, man. I love America enough that I want to see it live to its full potential and be what it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's like, oh no, I'm I I love this child of mine, right? Like that I'm so I'm mm-hmm. being I'm holding it accountable. I'm being I'm being harsh and critical of it. Like, no, it's not good enough. Like you're gonna be you're gonna be incredible because you are incredible, right? So I I know that of I know that of myself. But again, and, and to go back, it's like, it's one of those things where like, I know people don't, people don't like the language of white privilege, but even that is like proof positive of white privilege that you could disagree with the language that another group of people created to describe something that they've observed. And you're like, I don't like that. Find a different language. Well, I just don't understand. I just, there, there's certain things to me that are just fucking inarguable, inarguable and that there, there isn't any negative connotation to saying my life as a decent looking white dude is easier than other people's American experiences because I'm a decent looking white dude. Like to me, that doesn't take any power away from me. That doesn't, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, dude, I didn't choose this, but it does. If you want, it does take power away from you. If you believe that it's like, if you have everything spread out on a table, like you watch a little kid, right? Like a little kid has all their toys out and then some other kid comes in and picks up one toy that they're not even playing with. And the kid runs over to that toy and wants to grab it back. It's like, when you think everything belongs to you, if anybody takes anything from you, it feels like they've taken everything from you. But it's not true, right? Like you're not a person that's attached to this idea of whiteness being, you know, like holier than thou and everything and being like, clear, then you're not going to have a problem with like white privilege. There's also black privileges, right? Like there's, a, there's, there's spaces where blackness is, is a privilege to be able to maneuver through. And right? it's like, it's, un, it's unfathomable to me that we can't be honest in this type of space where like, we can't be honest with these conversations. Like, it's very, very strange to me. Like, and, I, and as, a, as a black guy who went to a predominantly white school, the amount of like racism that I heard that I op- openly heard white people like communicating back and forth with each other or shit that their parents would say at dinner to me, you know what I mean? Or, or like, and, and not necessarily even realizing that it was racist, but, but their, their children realizing that it was racist and being like, yo, you can't fucking say that, you know? It's like, why now in their forties, can't they just like be comfortable saying like, oh no, no, yeah, for sure. America's racist. Like, I don't understand why the conservative right can't, be like like honest it's like it's the the, the concern the, the right does the same thing that the left does but like 
in the opposite spectrum. Like the right yep. will like basically like exaggerates their purity and they're like this, this like bootstrap, nothing is ever, you know, like everybody's gotten everything from hard fucking work. And it's like, they, they like flatten the curve to where it's like, what, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, and then, and then, and then the left like makes everything the victim narrative. And it's like, wait, no, yep. everything wasn't like the conquered flat narrative and everything wasn't like the, the victim narrative. Like why the fuck can nobody can like meet in the middle here? Nobody. And well, I, and there's, that was there's cats like, like, I think there's cats like you and I, and I do think we are as, as both sides get more ridiculous. I think I pray that, that, that more people are starting to be like, dude, y'all are both right about certain shit and you're all extremely wrong about other shit. Like, I mean, that, that's what's so funny to me, like as far as the like, conservatives, especially the ones in power, where it's like, yeah, it was bootstraps and hard work. It's like, yeah, man, that's why you went to a fucking private high school and then went right to an Ivy League school that your dad went to and then your dad was a senator, so then you became a governor. It's like, no, dude, there's a fucking pipeline. You're a member of the fucking, you know, you are in the fucking oil patch that is attached to that pipeline. It's like, you didn't do shit. You just kept but showing they, up. They know that, though. So I think that that's back to that sort of Candace Owens conversation where it's like those individuals who are there saying that stuff, they know that they're a part of the pipeline. They're just saying that to the masses because the poor, poor white people have always been weaponized by rich weak white people like strong strong poor white people have always been the fucking like the the basically like the the lowest class of like workhorses and do the grunt dirty work they're the grunts of the white upper echelons who don't give a fuck about them right so that's why it's like, like hey send them to america to fight nick indians you know what i'm saying like oh let's mm -hmm. we'll send we'll send we don't give a shit we'll send poor we'll send the irish and we'll send poor fucking working Europeans, Western Europeans to America to try to claim that new land. We're not going, I'm not fucking going, claim it for me. In the name of the queen or, you know, in the name of the fucking king of England, you go fight, you go get dirty. You go interact with those people that we're gonna tell you are beneath you. But really, they're just like you, right? You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're you're doing the grunt work and that that's never ceased, right? Like. The, the elite rich upper echelons of whiteness is still controlling the narrative of poor, you know, poor white people and making them put pitting, pitting them against, you know, other poor peoples of, you know, of color for land acquisition. Asia, when, I, when I had Asia Black on the podcast, we went deep on that, right? Of the, the invention of whiteness, which is this is easy it was like okay well the irish were treated shitty the italians were treated shitty for a while but then it was like okay well how can we fight yeah like you just said how can we fight these different enemies okay well you're not irish polish italian anymore cut ties to your ancestry you're all white now you're all one thing and here's your new enemies it's black people it's mexicans these people are trying to take things from you it's these indians that don't want you to manifest your destiny like and it, and it's just so fucking funny man like you i don't think you have to be that critical of a thinker to look at it and see it for what it is apparently i'm dead wrong we're the we're the crazy ones now you know it's like i i keep being like yo the world is fucking crazy you guys are crazy this is crazy this is crazy and then i'm like wait obviously i'm the fucking crazy one because everybody else is going along with this shit 
And, you know, like I, I have a very small, you know, following um, and, and self-admittingly, I don't do anything to grow it. <laughs> but like, hopefully if I do more of these, I have a podcast that I'm, that I'm working on and developing as well called, um, called uh, Electric Wet Dream. It's a futurist podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. So, um, and, I'm, and it's a, a little different format um, and I'm excited about it because I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, getting it going and being consistent. Because when I did have my original podcast, it did really, really well. Uh, this message was self-destruct. Um, but I think that Electric Wet Dream, I think Electric Wet Dreams is pretty dope because it will, it gives us an opportunity to talk about futures, the state of where we are in relationship to where we're going. And I think that instead of us, because I feel like a lot of the conversations that are being had are about the past and about how, like, how we got to where we are and, you know, and where we are and why we're there and, you know, like, and whether or not it's good or not. But I don't think that a lot of the conversations that are being had openly are projecting into the future and discussing futurist ideas. And I've, I've been blessed to be able to be a, a part of a lot of futurist conversations because I, you know, worked in a bunch of think tanks where I was being brought in tech think tanks where I was being brought in for my uh, forethought and mm -hmm. my divergent forethought where I was like, you know, they'd ask me weird, they give me these weird prompts and, you know, have me study a bunch of like um, uh, a bunch of, um, core materials and then they would have you know they'd ask us a thought question and we would have to extrapolate from the from the material and you know and then our put our own spin on it and then write a, write a piece write a think piece on the question and you know I can't really get into them because I've signed non-disclosures on a bunch of them but some of them that you know I, I can talk about like because uh, they're they're broad topics that have been open um, but like universal basic income what's the best way we could roll out universal basic incomes and it's interesting because they have think tanks are really interesting because you might not you might be on one and not even know who else is in it with you you know and so you might have a biologist with you or, or you know or a fucking car salesman with you or something you know what i mean like someone who's has a level of expertise in it in something and i think mine was more just like a social imaginative, imaginative social engineering of a sort where I'm just projecting into the future. Um, and what I noticed was that you really could, you really could see how you can impact the social engineering of a timeline. So when people are talking about the World Economic Forum and Agenda 21 and all of these things, I read those papers and I'm like, I've, I've done this work. You know, mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I, don't, I haven't worked on these particular things, but I know what it is to be a part of this. And I know how these scenarios pop up in these, you know, PDF reports about agendas and, you know, like, okay, well, you know, the World Economic Forum on the future and why you'll own nothing and why you'll like it. It's like, I've been a part of those <coughs> think tanks, you know what I mean? In those conversations. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe you write a 16 page paper and fucking one paragraph or two sentences from your paper ends up in, you know, the, the official World Economic Forum document. But they're taking, they're pulling from people and their ideas and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we advance 
because how do we advance this thing that we know is necessary or we think is necessary, like a universal basic income? How do we, how are we going to roll that out? And, and I can openly talk about like, this was the question. How do we roll? Uh, this is a perfect example because um, I'll give you, I'll give you this one because this one wasn't actually non-disclosed. Um, the question that they posed was how do we roll out? Um, okay. How do we deal with the reality that in the next 15 years, 100% of cars that come off of the factory line will be automated, fully automated, and will be able to autonomously drive themselves. How do we address that to the nation when 40% of adult males in America have some form of their income based in transportation? What are the, what are the pros, cons? What are the problems? What are the consequences of this reality because this is the reality that's coming and we need to deal with the possible consequences so we have to so then we you know we talk about we learned about truck drivers that were protesting and how much truck drivers make how much you know truck drivers um would lose where, where would this be ultimately i didn't even realize this but ultimately this was a conversation about the necessity for universal basic income and they were, they're, they were trying to get an argument. I was only on this particular section of it, but it was around the idea that automation is coming. And this is one of the reasons why there has to be universal basic income because you cannot stop automation. And because it is coming, it is going, it's inevitable that it's coming. And we know that, that because that it's coming that we know that we're going to lose a tremendous amount of, the average person is gonna lose a tremendous amount of money. So, so we have to think about what that looks like overall to the, uh, to the society. So th these are these things that are real, that are happening. And, 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 and I'm excited to sort of create a podcast that um, looks to share that type of thought process and those type of ideas with the general, like the average person, because I know for me, I'm going to. Yeah, I never think about that shit. I never think about that shit <laughs> at all. You know, I always am like, why the fuck are we here? All right, let's look back in history and see what the fuck they did back then. They got them where they were, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, dude, that's- I'm a big, that's, history, I'm that's a big history guy too, but now it's, it started to help me frame, to operate from a space of understanding like, okay, I got a pretty good grasp on how we got here. Now I need to think, I need to start looking at where we're going and why. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important conversation, man. I, um, you know, for me, like when the whole pandemic hit and I, I got to go pick up my son from daycare, but for, for me, I, the thing that I was most amazed with, we could fucking, I, I could talk for five hours with you. Um, but the thing I was most amazed at was I was like, have y'all never fucking read a book? You're acting like this is the first time some crazy shits happened. Like you guys clearly never read about the dust bowl. You clearly never read about the Spanish flu. Like, bad chaotic fucking catastrophic shit happens all the time and you know what happens america fucking gets through it the rest of the world gets through it you know right. what we don't do is go crazy and start fucking throwing shit at each other everybody fucking calm down like this is just another another fucking blip on the fucking screen of like yep and then in 2020 that one crazy thing happened and then everyone got over it and then two years later everyone forgot about it so that's that's why i always go back to history because i got really into the dust bowl recently and it's like you know, people freaking out over COVID. And I was like, I'm at, 
dude, there was fucking 10 years where the infant mortality rate in Kansas was like 50% because of dust induced pneumonia. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's a fucking problem. This shit isn't really that big of a problem. And everyone's just like, well, I got to wear my hazmat suit and drench myself and fucking <laughs> drench myself I mean, and sanitizer like before I get in the store. We built the, wall, we built the walls so high that we're just like, we're prisoners of our own fortress. It's like, we're just, we're, we're, we're just scared. We live in, we live in this constant state of fear. And it's like, I'm, I mean, it's not something that I'm interested. I'm not, not something that I'm deeply interested in, in terms of like the fear mongering. I'm like, all right, look, man, it's going to be what it's going to be. I already have a relationship with my own fragility every, almost every day of, mm-hmm. of the week because I'm, you know, I'm visiting my own death in jujitsu all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I genuinely believe, I, I'm just going to plug this because I, I think it's important. Like, I genuinely believe that everybody can, can really benefit from jujitsu. But most importantly, I think children and women uh, girls, g- girls and women really can benefit tremendously from jujitsu because I, I, I know that this is like a little side tangent, but I don't give a fuck. I got to do this before you got to run. There's only two times that women are in that usually are in that space of intimacy, that physical space of intimacy. One is invited intimacy and the other is uninvited intimacy. And you're never going to be able to realize how to deal with uninvited intimacy like that. Like obviously like sexual assault or rape or something of this nature, Mm -hmm. unless you are in uncomfortable invited intimacy and jujitsu is uncomfortable invited intimacy. And that way you will learn how to deal with being in a state of uninvited, uncomfortable intimacy. And for me, that's why I think jujitsu is the most important for females because that's the only space, one of the only spaces where they'll learn how to deal with and defend that space. And a lot of shit's gonna come up. A lot of traumas might come up with some older, uh, older women or you know, like women who are adults or who have experienced sexual trauma. A lot of traumas might come up, but that's the, that that that's a safe place to address it and to deal with it, so that you can actually learn how to deal with it. So it's. it's I, I, I really am an advocate. I'm going to start writing more about it because I, I want to be an advocate for this. Women and girls need jujitsu in their lives uh, because that the last thing you want to do is find yourself in an uninvited intimate space and not know what to do with it. Yeah, man. That's, um, I couldn't think of anything scarier. Yeah, man. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, yeah, especially for women. And, and it's just it's so funny that so many of the, the most efficient attack positions happen from, from the positions that a girl could be put in, which, you know, in a position where she didn't want to be, where it's like, oh, cool. Well, this motherfucker's not all up on you. He's in your closed guard. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you're ready to roll. Yeah, man. Dude, I, uh, I really appreciate you, man. I, and I respect your opinions. I got a lot to chew on, man. This went drastically different than I thought it would. Um, Shit. yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. In a good way, man. Like, yeah. I mean, a big one for me is I just, I had never considered like, well, shit, maybe, maybe your fucking barbaric view of masculinity is like on the phase out and you're just the last of a dying breed where I'm like, fuck, maybe that is what's happening. You know, like, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think that we can, we can fight for it. I just don't, you know, I'm, I, my thing is, is that I don't want to be attached 
to my blind spots, you know, like or attach to my ideas and not acknowledge my blind spots. Yeah, man. Yeah, huge respect. That means you're a good thinker. Um, well, dude, yeah, let's stay connected, man. Uh, I will be out in New York this spring, man. I'd love to get together and come train with you. All right. Well, I'm in, I mean, we can, I mean, also, if you come down to Tulum, you're always welcome here. Like, I don't even My know wife and I are actually talking about coming to Tulum um, in January. So if you're actually down there, down oh, well, there, maybe we'll come through. Definitely, definitely hit me and let me know what your plan is because this is essentially like my second, my second home. Honestly, at this point, I'm mostly, I'm mostly in LA um, to see my nieces and then I'm back, I'm back here, you know, just trying to escape what seems so weird <laughs> right now to me. Like, I'm just like- Totally, totally. Well, man, yeah, let's stay in touch, man. I'd love to Absolutely. kick it in person and train. God bless you, bro. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, man. You know, much love to your family as well. Likewise. All right. That was Netic. Um, dig deeper, man. Dig deeper. That's all I got. Um, we'll get back to uh, to some dudes from the band. Um, and I have my friend Jimmy Rex coming on. Um, I kind of said fuck the intro and outro music today. I'm not feeling it. I'm feeling a type of way for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I would challenge y'all to treat every interaction you have with someone you care about, no matter how big or small, uh, to treat it like it, it could potentially be the last one, because it may be, um, that's it, go sweat, um, do something useful with yourself, and be of service, peace. <laughs>